Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for being here as we close out this, I think, really, really important series that we've been doing called The God Jesus Knows and the Problem of Sin. And if you're here for the first time, you're like, oh, great, I'm walking in right at the end of a series. I'll do my best. And I think the idea that we're looking at today is something that can uh, stand alone, is something that you don't need everything else that we've said to understand where we're going. I think what we're looking at today is also a very important idea. But if you do have the time and if you did miss any of these messages in the series, I would really encourage you to go listen in because we've, we've dealt with some really big ideas. When, you, when you're talking about the God Jesus knows, first of all, that bumps up against the God I know and the God I think I know and the God that's been presented to me, the God Jesus knows sometimes is so different from what we've experienced. And then you go further and say the God Jesus knows and the problem of sin like, whoa, there's some big ideas, and how does he handle the problem of sin? And so if you've missed out on any of these, I'd encourage you to go listen in, um, because we've hit some big ideas. Some that, that showed, and we dealt with this in depth, showed that because of what Jesus did, God is not mad at us for sin anymore. That's a big idea, and it's a little bit of a shocking idea sometimes if you've grown up in church and heard a very different story. God is not, according to what Jesus teaches, God is not mad at us for sin anymore because of what he's done. In fact, what we discovered is that God has already punished all sin. It's already punished. And the problem of sin is no longer a problem of punishment. The problem of sin now kind of moves into a place where, where, where it's a problem of whether we've just accepted what he's given us and what he's done for us or not. That because Jesus died for all sin everywhere, if we simply accept this gift that he's given us, that we no longer have to be defined by sin and we no longer have to be afraid of punishment. That's this beautiful thing that Jesus has done. It's massive and it's a massive, massive idea. Again, we've dealt with it in depth in the series, so if you have some time and you haven't heard it, I'd love for you to go and check it out. Today, what I wanna do is, as we close, I wanna deal with one more problem that we bump up against when we come and bump into this problem of sin. One more idea that, that's a big deal that I think messes with us. I know it's messed with me in the past before as well and still does sometimes. <clears throat> you see, this whole discussion around the God Jesus knows and the problem of sin started in the beginning of the year with a question that we, we ask. And the question was this, how do we change? Because, you know, all of us want to be the best version of ourselves. All of us want to, you know, as humans, we wanna get better, we wanna change, we wanna grow. But is there a reliable method of change? How do we change? And, and even though we want to change, what we found, I have found at least, and I think most of us have found this, we've actually said this, that while we want to change, there is something in all of us that makes it hard to change. Like, I wanna do that, I wanna be that, but why do I still struggle with the stuff that I still struggle with? There's something in us that makes it easy to do the wrong thing and hard to do the right thing. We've looked at that in depth, and, and yet, as humans, we wanna change, we wanna be good, we wanna do good, we wanna be the best version of ourselves. And if you're a Christian, that's even more pronounced because as a Christian, I mean, we've got scriptures that talk about change. We wanna be all we can, and we wanna kind of you know, be who God's made us to be, and, and we've seen over the last couple of weeks that not only do we wanna do that, but when we place our faith in Christ, he, like God, reaches inside of us and changes us. There's words in the, in the New Testament that talks about we become a new creation. He changes us, he puts his spirit in us, he gives us his nature so that we can. He comes to help us change and help us grow. 
And throughout the whole series, we've talked about how now because of that, we can actually change and become who it is that we want to be and who He wants us to be. But today, I want to ask the question, if I have put my faith in Him, this is a really important question, if I have put my faith in Him, if I have begun challenging my own ideas about God and seeing, do they line up with the God Jesus knows? If I have done that, if I have put my trust in him, if he has forgiven me, if he has put his spirit in me, if he has changed me on the inside, if I have begun surrounding myself with other people on the same journey to kind of navigate life, and if I have sort of tried to change my muscle memory, I, I use that illustration that sometimes we believe something, but our muscle memory still makes us do the old thing, but I've started to change my muscle memory. If I've done all that stuff, then why am I still not changing? And is this just me or may, I hope it's not just me. What I found is there's still something in us that goes, I've done this, but there's something in me. Why do I still struggle with some of the same stuff? Why do I still make some of the same mistakes? Why am I still kind of addicted to myself? my self-centeredness? Why am I still kind of addicted to my pride? Why am I still kind of addicted to my version of sin? Why am I not changing like I think I should? Why am I still struggling with the problem of sin? If I put my trust in Him, if I'm a Christian, if I wanna change, why am I still not changing? I think it's a really important question and I'm so grateful that Christianity actually looks at this, makes space for this struggle. I'm so glad because I need that space. And as we journey through all this, we need that space. And so today we're gonna look at what I believe sort of explains, at least from Christianity, explains why we sometimes don't change the way we wanna change. But before we get to that, I just wanna address one thing about this question. This question, I think, <laughs> while we ask it about ourselves, and I think it's a good question to ask about ourselves, sometimes this question becomes a dangerous question because sometimes churches use this question not to ask it about ourselves, but to ask it about others. And it's not about why am I not changing, it's about why are you not changing. And when that happens, it turns into this judgmental, condemning thing. And I think sometimes this question is what makes people go, I don't want to go to church. Because every time I go to church, people look at me and go, why are you not changing? And it comes out in maybe other words like, you should know better. Or, you know, you're a Christian now, you can't do that anymore. But every time that is spoken and this question is asked about other people, it's an external focus rather than an internal focus, and it comes across judgmental, and it comes across condemning, and it's focusing, it's, it's, it's like trying to change an apple tree's nature by cutting off the apples. The tree's different, it looks like a tree now. Nobody can see the ugly apples. And it's a sin management thing that happens, and I'm telling you, sin cutting off an apple, you know, the apples off an apple tree doesn't change an apple tree. It makes it look good for a little while, but guess what's gonna happen? Apples are gonna grow back. But when we start focusing on the externals and not the internals and ask the question, why are you not changing? It kind of misses the point of what Jesus did. It, it doesn't deal with the problem of sin the way Jesus did and it just creates the sin management thing that doesn't work. It doesn't work and yet it's so judgmental and some people go, you know what? I don't wanna come back. And so this question's a dangerous question to ask of others, but I think it's a valid question to ask of ourselves. Why am I not changing? So let's come back to that question. If I have put my faith in Jesus, and he has put his spirit in me, and he's changed me on the inside, 
then why am I not changing the way that I think I should? Why do I still struggle with the problem of sin? I want to kind of give three possible reasons. That, that, and I'm going to run through the first two really quick, and we're going to settle on the third and kind of dig in there. The first two, the first one, actually, we, we spoke about that last week, so that's why I'm going to go quickly through it. The second one, I'm going to come back to it sometime in the future. I want to speak about this in depth, but, so I'm just going to touch on it today, and then we're going to settle on the third. So here are three reasons I believe that Christianity gives that, that, that show why we sometimes don't change like we think we should. I've trusted. I've, he's forgiven me. He's put his spirit in me, but somehow I'm just not changing. Why? Well, the first reason I want to kind of put out there is something we looked at last week, and that's this, that Christianity teaches, and I know this may sound weird at first, but it, it teaches this very clearly. Christianity teaches that we have, if you've placed your faith in Christ, we have, Christians have two natures, the one nature is this incredible thing. When you put your faith in Christ, God puts his spirit in you. He changes you. There's words in the New Testament that says you're a new creation. Other words that we looked at last week in 2 Peter 1 verse 4 says that he's allowed us to participate in the divine nature. Those are big words. That God has put his divine nature, once you trust him, he's put his divine nature in you. And that nature is defined, according to Colossians 1 verse 22, as holy, blameless, and above reproach. So if I'm defined as holy, then I should do everything perfectly, right? That's what it sounds like. If that's my nature, it's holy, blameless, and above reproach, I should be perfect. But that's not the whole picture. Christianity also, it says that, and that's huge, and it changes everything we are, but it also says that we have an old nature. And unfortunately, and I don't like this because it irritates me and it frustrates me in my life, unfortunately, I'm gonna drag this old nature with me forever until I die. So I have this new nature that's defined by holy, blameless, and above reproach, God's divine nature. I'm new, I'm new creation, and yet I've got this old nature that I go and walk with. And, and the difficult thing is that I'm gonna carry that with me, and that's who I am. So there's this battle, there's this tension that I live with, even though I have God's spirit in me, even though we have this new nature, even though we're defined as Christ in us. Until the day we die, we carry around this old nature. And that means, unfortunately, that means that there will be moments in our lives where we will struggle. There will be moments where we will be tempted. There will be moments where we'll probably fall and mess up. And I hate that, but it's true because we carry this with and this is why, this is why I'm so grateful because if it was about sin management, then that means everything's lost. But the Christian message, what Jesus says is this is about grace, grace that not only forgives you once when you become a Christian, but continually forgives you when we fall. It's amazing, that's what grace is, but it doesn't only forgive us, it actually continues to rescue us and continues to change us and continues to transform us and continues to empower us to be who he's made us to be and continues to remind us of what God is doing, what God has done and who he's made us to be. And I'm telling you, as we live in that grace, we begin to live more by who he's made us and less by this old nature. But the reality is until the day we die, we're dragging the stupid old nature with us as long as we live. So why don't I change sometimes? Because unfortunately, we've got our old nature with us. Another reason why we don't change sometimes, and, and again, I'm gonna just briefly touch on this because we're gonna come back to this, 
is because I believe Jesus very clearly teaches that sometimes there are things stuck in our hearts and in our lives that sort of hinder the change, that sort of choke out what God's doing. Um, Things like hurt that we're struggling to get over, things like other people's sin or hurt against us, things like our own mess, things like shame, things like bitterness that are so kind of sort of growing in our hearts. Jesus describes it as thorns that grow around the seeds that are trying to grow. I've used another picture of barnacles stuck on the bottom of a ship inside of our hearts, barnacles that are there that are just sort of growing and dragging and keeping. And sometimes, unless we can actually open up our hearts and look to see what's inside there, those things hinder and get in the way of the change and the growth and the fruit that we wanna see. But I'm gonna come back to that and we'll deal with that in depth in the near future. Today, what I wanna do is focus on this third idea. Why don't we see the change that we wanna see as quickly as we wanna see? Why why am I not changing when I wanna change? And it's, it's a really important idea and something that we forget, but, but, but here's the idea. The reason we don't change the way we wanna change sometimes is this. Growth, maturity, deep change always takes time. It's a deep idea, right? (laughs) It's a journey. Growth, change, deep life change on the inside that affects everything takes time. And most of us are impatient. We're like, I want it now. We're a gigaspeed generation, microwave, where's the quick cook button, boop, everything's different, yay. We don't like slow cooking anything, let alone our own change, our own life. We want it done now, and when we are impatient, when we don't see the change happening in our own life quick, you know what we do? We, We give up on the process sometimes. We stop trusting the one who actually changes us and start trusting our own imperfect ways of changing and it kind of messes things up sometimes down the road. We're impatient, we're impatient with other people as well and when we don't see the change we think we should see, we throw out the you should know better. We focus on the outside again, we wanna cut off the apples again rather than focusing in on the root that actually changes. It takes a while to do that. The reality is that the most important things in life, sometimes, yes, sometimes there are massive, miraculous changes and it's like, oh my gosh, everything's different. That happens. And and when God enters into our lives, that happens. But then faith begins to grow. But then, then life change happens. And all of that takes time. It takes time. Think about it, a baby doesn't become an adult in a few days. It'll be a really bad adult. (laughs) sorry, (laughs) it wouldn't work. It's dangerous for a baby who doesn't know how to use its arms. It takes, it doesn't take a couple days, it doesn't take a couple years, it takes decades for a baby to become an adult. Why do we think it will take a couple days or a couple years for us to grow spiritually into who we're meant to be and for the change to happen? It takes time. James Bryan Smith says this, if God, and I love this idea, if God wants to make a squash, he takes six months. If he wants to make an oak tree, he takes 100 years. And I love this because Isaiah chapter 61 verse three tells us what God is making those who trust him into. And it says this, they will be called oaks of righteousness. That's who God's making. And, And the beautiful thing is, 
that he, it, he tells us in this passage who he's making into those oaks of righteousness. And this is so cool because it's not the superstars. It's not the heroes. It's everyone. It's all of us. He talks about the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, those who are captive to various things. He talks about people who, who, who are prisoners. He talks about those who mourn and grieve. He talks about people whose lives have turned into ashes and who have felt despair. And it says it's those people. This is what it says, Isaiah 61.3. They, those people, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. But it doesn't take six months to make an oak tree. That's a squash. It takes a hundred years to do that, and he's making us into oaks of righteousness. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that God has already, if you've placed your faith in him, that God has already changed us on the inside, that he's already given us his spirit, that he's already made us new. That's all true. It's the maturing, the growing, the changing that takes Time. There's actually a really important idea that we need to understand about Christianity if we want to understand what he's done in us and what he's doing in us and as we grow. And this, it's kind of wrapped up in, in this idea that, that people have called the idea of the already and the not yet. It's a really important idea that we need to understand in Christianity. The already and the not yet. Christianity teaches that God has already saved us that he's already changed us, that he's already given us his spirit, that he's already defined us as Christ in us. And we saw earlier that he's already made us holy and blameless and above reproach, that if you've trusted in Christ, all of this has already happened. And he's already changed you at the deepest level. That's what God does. It's an incredible idea. I don't fully know how to explain it, but somehow when we trust him, somehow he reaches to the depths of who we are, to the very nature of who we are, and he's already changed that. You are already a child of God. But the fruit of that change has not yet impacted every single part of our lives. And as such, we we do not yet experience all of the fruit of that deep change. Dr. David Bryan's a New Testament scholar and theologian and professor, says this. We live in a theological tension. By faith in Christ, all of those spiritual blessings are ours already. But the full enjoyment of these blessings is not yet ours. He's already accomplished so much in us but there is a maturing process that is not yet complete, and the fruit of that change is still growing. This is why it's so important. In, in those times where you're like, come on, why did I fall to that thing again? Why am I struggling? Why am I not changing? Why am I still self-centered? Why am I still there? To remember this beautiful verse, Philippians 1, verse 6, says this, and I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work, his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. If we have placed our faith in Christ and we are discovering and developing and deepening our understanding of and relationship with the God Jesus knows, he is working in our lives and we are changing. That's beautiful what he's doing. 
James Bryan Smith actually explains this whole idea well with a very cool illustration. Let me, let me read this to you. He says, spiritual growth is a slow process. And he says this, making pickles is an apt analogy to the way we grow as disciples. To make a pickle, we first need to get a cucumber. Then we need to create the brine and the vinegar solution for soaking the cucumber. If we dip the cucumber in the solution and quickly pull it out, all we have is a baptized cucumber. <laughs> That's all it is. In order for it to become a pickle, it needs to soak in the brine for six or weeks or so. Slowly, imperceptibly, the solution works its way into the cucumber, changing it into a pickle. Making pickles takes six weeks, but making an apprentice of Jesus takes much longer. The great preacher, Graham Scroge, wrote, spiritual renewal is a gradual process. All growth is progressive, and the finer the organism, the longer the process. Human beings are much finer organisms than cucumbers. There are many factors involved in our transformation. My mind, my emotions, my body are multifaceted. The human soul is a massive entity that changes very slowly. For Christ to be formed in us, for Christ to be formed into our habits, our values, our decisions, who we are, everything about us, just like a pickle, we need to trust him, rest in him, live in community with others who are doing the same, absorb, live in the truth of who God really is and what he's doing. And as we do that, slowly, sometimes imperceptibly, the life and the character of Jesus works its way into who we are, just like that brine works its way into that cucumber so that six weeks later, the cucumber's not trying to be a pickle. It can't not be a pickle. It's not a cucumber going, I'm gonna be the best pickle in the world. It just is. Why? Because it's rested in, it's absorbed, it's remained in this, this juice, this brine, and it becomes different. It changes. That's, I think, a great picture of the change that God is doing in us. And he's basically asking us to just pickle, rest in him. Jesus gave a really cool example of this, actually a better illustration than the pickle one because it has life in it. I want to read it in John chapter 15, verse 1. We see Jesus giving us a powerful illustration of this exact thing. John 15, verse 1 says this, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Jump to verse four, he says, remain in me, remain in me. There's that language. A pickle, a cucumber needs to remain in the vinegar, in the brine, and then it will absorb. Jesus is saying, remain in me. But this is a better picture because this isn't a, like a dead cucumber. You know, dead cucumber sounds terrible. It sounds like you don't want to eat that. But you know what I mean. It's not on the vine. It doesn't have life growing in it. A vine has life in it. And he says, remain in me. And he's saying, there's this branch. And if this branch can simply just stay attached, connected to, dependent on, remaining in, there is life and sap and nutrients in the vine. And it goes straight into that branch. And there's life in there. And the branch doesn't have to try and be the best branch. It just has to do what? Remain. And naturally, 
Life flows from the vine into this branch and life happens and it grows. It's not trying to grow, it's just connected. And it grows and bears fruit eventually. It's a beautiful thing. Verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You can try really hard. A branch lying on the ground with no connection. You can try really hard. You're gonna have to put like Christmas ornaments on it to make it look like it has fruit. It's not gonna work. A branch cannot bear fruit. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I think what he's saying is you can't change at the level you want to change at without me. It's not gonna happen. Not only do we need that deep moment where we place our faith in Christ and he puts his spirit in us and gives us a new nature, that moment, but if we're going to bear the fruit of that change, we need to remain in that place of dependence and trust in him. If you've placed your faith in him, He's there, he's in you, he's connected you to the vine. That's happening, but it takes time sometimes for that to bear the fruit that we sometimes want immediately. He's working, his life is in you. Just rest there, remain, pickle, absorb, trust him, and his life will Bear the fruit of change in your life. That's what he's calling you to do. He says it again in verse five. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. James Bryan Smith describes this brilliantly. He says, Jesus, the vine, is the source of life. He is the life force that flows into us, the branches, thus producing fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Cut off from the vine, the branches cannot produce fruit. And then he says this, this is so cool. The power of production is not in the branch, just as the power to live the Christian life is not in us. In fact, apart from Jesus, we can do Nothing, but in him, in him, in trusting in him, in remaining in him, he is sometimes slowly, sometimes imperceptibly producing the fruit of change in our lives. Now, before I move on from this, this is, this is such an amazing picture that, that, that if, if we could just live here, so often we're so focused on a moralistic way of understanding Christianity that says, I must change me in order to please him. And he's going, who told you that? I need you to just abide, just remain, just stay connected, just pickle, just sit, remain in the brine, just do that, and then the change will come. But so often we come at this with such a moralistic way of understanding it that if I don't change me, then he's gonna kick me out and I'm not gonna do this and I don't know how to do this. That's how we so often approach Christianity, and that's not at all the way that Jesus deals with sin. The God Jesus knows, how he handles it is so different. He just says, hey, I need you to abide. Now, I believe that's his message everywhere, wherever he's talking, that's who he is. That's the message of the gospel that Christianity portrays and gives out. 
And so I think it's because that's the reality, because that's such an important idea and message and lesson for us to learn, and because there's something in us that sometimes pushes back on that, I think it's really important for us, before we move away from this little passage, to address something in this passage that feels like it contradicts it, that feels like it's going against it, because there's something written in verse two here. We've read verse one, verse four, and verse five, and it's so clear, just abide, just remain in me, and you will bear fruit. But verse two, there's a word in there that makes me go, oh, really? That sounds like the opposite. So I wanna deal with this. Let me, let me read it, and then we'll dive into this. John 15, verse one again says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Verse two, he says this, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Wait, what? Let me finish the verse. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. So that second part, I'm fine with, like it makes sense. Like if there's a branch and it needs to be pruned in order to grow and change and be better, he's gonna prune that, that's great, that's wonderful. But that first part, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, makes me feel like, Uh uh-oh, I better bear the fruit then. I don't wanna be cut off. I don't wanna be thrown out. So, and Jesus said that, so what do I do with that? And when I read that in the context, it's like, okay, remain in me, remain in me, and then you'll bear fruit, you'll bear fruit, because if you're not in me, then you can't bear fruit, you can't do it alone, so just remain in me, just remain in me, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. He cuts off every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. It feels like you're telling me I must bear fruit, and then it adds to this moralistic understanding of Christianity that I better do, better do, better do, better do, otherwise he's gonna cut it off. So what does he mean here? And this verse, I've struggled with this verse for years, until a few years ago. I decided I need to figure this out because it's Jesus saying this, because if he's saying this, then I better know that because I can't say the opposite, but it felt like you said the opposite, so what is, ha, what's happening? And so I went and looked at the original Greek that John used when he quoted Jesus here, and he uses a really interesting word for cut off, and it's the word iro, and we'll, we'll put it up on the screen in a minute, but the word iro is a very, very interesting word, and it can be translated cut off. But just like in most languages in the world, some words have multiple meanings to that word. And if you, how do you know which is the right meaning for the word? It's the context that tells you what I mean. Now, if, I know that sounds weird. It's like, can't there just be one word that means one thing? But we do that all the time in English. I mean, it's crazy. There's so many words. Let me give you an example of an English word that has totally different meanings depending on the context. If I say the word steer to you, well, steer to you, just to, translate from South African, sorry. If, if I say the word steer or steer to you, what is it that you think? My guess is the first picture that comes to mind is something like this. I'm gonna steer my car. But some of you may have thought this. The same word, steer, spelled the same way, means cow <laughs> and drive a car. What the heck? <laughs> How does that work? Why is that? How can it mean cow, ox, and drive a car? Same word, and how do you know the difference? It's the context that tells you the difference, right? So if I say to you, I'm going to steer my car, you know I don't mean this, right? (laughs) Because it doesn't make sense. You know that I mean I'm gonna direct my car. I'm gonna make sure I'm going in the right direction. I'm gonna steer my car. Why, how do you know that? It's because of the context. And this word, Iro, is such an important word to understand, and it has several different meanings. 
The word airo can be translated like cut off. Here's the first one I want to show you from Bible dictionaries, uh, Greek dictionaries, to destroy with the implication of removal and doing away with. Airo can mean that. It means cut off, to destroy with the implication of removal and doing away with. But airo can also mean this, to lift from the ground, to lift with a view to carrying. It can mean that as well. So how do you know which meaning it it's supposed to have in this context. Well, you look at the context to see what Jesus was trying to say when he said the word Iro. So let's go back to the context and look what he said. John 15 verse one again. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And verse two said, you know, he prunes and so that looks like cutting. So I can understand why people would have said the context has cutting in it. So he cuts away any branch in me. But let's look at the rest of the context. Verse three says this. You are already clean. That's a huge picture for Christianity, huge picture for the problem of sin. You are already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit. That's huge. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Look at the continued and repeated emphasis of in him. In him. That's there. That's the point that he's making, being in him. Verse 5 continues that. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. There's a promise. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So again, the point is, if you are in him, you will bear fruit because a branch that has the life of the vine in it bears fruit. Now, let me ask you a question, really important question. Is there fruit on the vine all year round? No. We know that, and a farmer knows that, a vine dresser knows that, and a farmer does not expect there to be grapes on the vine all year round. It's bad for the vine. It needs to recoup, it needs to grow, it needs to get ready, it needs to do that. So the question that the farmer asks about the branches, I believe, is not, do you have fruit? But the question is, is the branch connected to the vine in a healthy way? It's not about the farmer coming, where's the fruit? It's going, no, 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 is it connected? Is it connected? And that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus knew that the, a vine does not bear fruit all the time. Again, the point of the passage seems to be, is the branch in the vine? Are you in him? So let's go read verse two again and see which translation is a better word to use for Iro. John 15, verse two, he says, he cuts off. That's Iro, he Iro's. He cuts off every branch in me that bears fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, so it'll bear more fruit. And again, I can understand why someone could translate that with cut off, because he's pruning. But if you look at the context, the greater context of the passage, and if you look at the greater context of what Jesus teaches, then you realize that this translation of cut off doesn't make sense. No farmer or vine dresser would do that. I've actually spoken to a guy who owned a vineyard and I asked him, I said, hey, if you go down your vineyard and you see a branch that's not bearing any fruit, what do you do? And he actually told me the story of a branch sort of lying down in the ground with dirt on it. And he said, the first thing I do is not whip out my shears and chop it off, stupid branch. No, the branch is way too valuable to do that. He cares for it way too much. 
So when he sees a branch that is not bearing fruit, what he does is he immediately goes towards it and lovingly, caringly looks to see, follows it up and see, is it connected? Is it in the vine? And if it's not, then there's nothing he can do. There's no life in it. But if it's connected in the vine, even though it's dirty and it's not bearing fruit, you know what he does when he sees it's connected to the vine? He lifts it up and he washes it off and he supports it lovingly, caringly, and he ties it up so that it can get the nutrients and the life that it needs. He does not cut it off. So as I look at that, as I look at the context of in me, in me, in me, in me, if you're in me, you will bear fruit. The context of Jesus' words, I think a better translation of the word Iro in the scripture is not cut off, but something like this. He lifts up with a view to carrying every branch in me, in me. See, the words in me are there. It's repeated in this verse, in me. The, the branch is in him. So he lifts up with a view to carrying every branch in me that bears no fruit. Isn't that an incredible picture? And I think that is so clear. I'm convinced this is a better translation of that word. This is his heart. And I think it's so important to know that Jesus does not focus on the fruit and then cut off anyone that doesn't have it. Jesus wants to make sure that the root is right. It's connected in him, remaining in, abiding in him. And then even if there's no fruit, I believe what Jesus clearly teaches, I mean, he died for us when we had zero fruit that he lifts up with a view to carrying. The question Jesus asks is not, where's your fruit? Why aren't you changing? The question Jesus asks is, are you in me? Do you trust me? Because if you do, my life, my life is in you and you will change and bear the fruit of that change. Because when we abide, when we remain, when we trust him, when we surrender, when we pickle, <laughs> his life flows in us and we can't but change. So let's abide. Let's rest in him. Because as we do that, we will change, sometimes slowly, sometimes imperceptibly, but we will change. I mean, six weeks after the cucumber is sitting in vinegar, you don't have to tell it to be a pickle. You don't. It just is. And when we live in, remaining in him, trusting in him, we will be different. When we put the focus on stop sinning, gotta change. That's an external focus again, like trying to cut the apples off an apple tree to change the apple tree. What happens next year? There's apples again. I gotta change it again. No, 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 no. God is focused on the, the long game, the deep game, the changing of the root, because if the root changes of a tree, the tree changes. He's less focused on the external and more focused on the internal because as we focus on the external, then it becomes about me doing and I gotta change. And he's going, just would you remain in me? Would you trust me? Would you rest in me? And I will and am changing you. This process that God is working in us is about changing that root, not cutting off the fruit. One more thing I wanna read to you. It's another quote from James Bryan Smith. He says, the spiritual growth, in addition to being slow, is also not uniform. 
Some years we may experience tremendous growth and some we may see very little change. An oak tree has only a couple of months of actual growth each year in terms of measurable expansion. The rest of the year, the other 10 months are spent solidifying that growth. So, let me ask the question again. Why do we sometimes not see the change we want to see? Why? Why, why do we sometimes not see it? Because life change, spiritual growth, is not just a slow process sometimes. It's also not uniform. And if we're so focused on, oh, I gotta do, I gotta change, I gotta be, our focus will go away from remaining in the vine and go toward, I've gotta bear fruit, gotta bear fruit. And listen, we don't have the ability to change us as deeply as he does. And he just says, would you just remain in me? Would you just abide? Would you take this and, and allow me to do what I'm doing? Would you sit and rest in me? Pickle. And as you do, my life will form. Christ will be formed in you. So the question that he asks us is not why aren't you changing or why is still sin still there? The question he asks us is, do you trust me? Are you abiding in me? Because if you're in me, you will change, you will grow, you will bear fruit. Not because you must, but it's because it's who you are. It's who I've made you and who I'm making you. And I'm telling you, the beauty of this is when we know the God Jesus knows, trust him and surrender to him, not only does he deal with the problem of sin, but he transforms us and is transforming us. And he empowers us to be and become all that he's made us to be. And it is all defined by his grace, his love, and his goodness and our trust in him. It's not immediate. It's a journey. It's an incredible, life-giving, growing, changing, falling, getting back up again, lifelong journey defined by His grace. And if we can rest there, whew, it changes us. It can't but. So as we close out the series, I want to invite you, let's go on this journey. Let's remain in Him. Let's trust Him. Let's pickle let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so grateful, Father, that this is not dependent on me because if it is, my pride and my self-centeredness will always come in and taint it. And while I think I might look good and be good, it doesn't change me at the heart. Father, thank you for that reminder. Thank you for the picture of a pickle. Thank you for the picture of the vine and the branch. And Father, thank you that you have given us everything we need for this. And if we can just simply trust you and go on the journey of what you're doing in us, then we can become all that you've made us to be. Not because we've made it happen because we'll mess it up, but because you are changing us and we become like you. And we become what you've made in us already. So Father, thank you for your grace Thank you for the journey you're taking us on. Thank you for the years of this journey and help us trust you in it, especially on our worst days. So we don't throw it out on the worst day and go, I'm not there, I'm not good enough. But on our worst days, we remember your incredible grace and the journey you're taking us on. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.
Let's go.